swings, hits it high and deep and gone. Still going back. Oh! Out of here. Welcome to the big leagues. Deep to center field. And it is gone. Wow, his first big league swing is going to be a grand slam home run. Swing and drive. It's the last day of February, and we have a really good farm system to break down, Jack. It's the call-up. I'm on Leighton, Jack McMullen, and we are talking Cleveland Guardians. And shit, man, we could probably spend three episodes talking about this system. So I'm, I'm really interested to see how effective and efficient we can be, Jack, to get through what is just a loaded, loaded system. This was going to be a three-hour podcast because we could realistically do 30 people. We could do a top 30 for the Guardians. And I, I was texting you when you sent me the top 10. And I was like, okay, you sent me the top 10. I'm going to put together honorable mentions. And like, I really wanted to add like 20 names to consider because I think this is the only team that we genuinely want to rank one through 30. They're so deep. And we've talked about it. They're not as top heavy as some of these other teams, right? Seattle is the best system in baseball because they're top heavy and they have depth. Nowhere near the talent at the top. But if you look at the second tier, the guys that are just outside the top 100 overall, I mean, it might be 20 to 25 deep with this organization. Yeah, so that's that's the crazy thing. And it becomes a little bit more of a a philosophical thing when you talk about what you value in an org. Um, There's nothing philosophical about the Mariner side because they have three top 30 prospects and then five potentially top top 50 guys that's just you prefer that over anything including arguably the top prospect in baseball so you really can't put anybody ahead of them but the tier two guys that are to me like fringe top 100 or really good just outside top 100 guys there's no system in baseball that has more of those than the guardians the rays are the only team that probably sniffs that territory uh but the guardians are just chock full of them and they also have a lot of solid back end or middle top 100 guys that i'm excited to talk about they have a couple i would say elite elite prospects and daniel espino and of course george valera which i'm excited to talk about those two guys rocchio not far behind uh you and i have a couple uh i would say disagreements really a strong word because we generally agree on the player just i guess exactly where they stack up which if there's one system where there's going to be some dissent it's going to be this one just because there's so much room to have opinions on so many different players because there's so many good ones uh, in this system and so many guys that are, are kind of right there with each other. Uh, it's really a situation where you can't go wrong with a lot of these guys. Well, I, I just think it's funny, and we're going to get to it a little bit later on in the pod. One of your, I'd say, top three favorite prospects in baseball couldn't even find his way into the top 10 yeah. in this system. Yeah. Yeah. Jagenzi Noel. I mean, like I I wanted to force him in there so bad and I'm like, I can't, I can't in good conscience. I cannot force Jagenzi Noel into this top 10 because it's so darn good. And the last thing I'll say before we jump into Daniel Espino is that there's probably 10, 12 prospects that outside of this top 10 that I think could crack at least 10 other top 10s um, in, in, in other organizations, which is absurd to say. Uh, but without a doubt, I could I could 
probably say there's probably 20 guys that would crack the White Sox top 10, <laughs> which is oh my God, yeah. which is crazy, which is crazy. So the Guardians, man, at the top, I mean, the, the big league roster has some talent, but it's about to get a lot more. And I think they can translate a lot of these guys into assets because as people will see, there's a lot of middle infield talent and a lot of pitching talent in this system. And I'm interested to see how they start to try to convert that into big league assets because they have some middle infielders already up there too. Yeah. So I, you were just texting me before we started recording, like if there was one organization that you could inherit right now, that's not Seattle because Seattle's in the best spot. We know that. Yeah, it's a, it's um, a joke. If, if there's one organization that you can inherit right now, it would be Cleveland. Right. Because they've got assets to play with. They've got guys that are outside, maybe their top 20 prospects that could, you know, if you package two of them, could return you a legitimate big leaguer. Um, and I mean, it's it's interesting because you have no idea where Cleveland's going to go because you've got Jose Ramirez, who you could argue is a top 10 player in baseball. Shane Bieber, who is inarguably a top five pitcher in baseball when healthy. Yeah. And then you got to fill the rest of it. Cal Quantrill looks good. Tristan McKenzie looks like he could be good. Zach Plesak, you know, maybe he's okay in the rotation. And then you look in the field and you've got some guys that might be fine. But the reality is you've got all these 20 to 21 to 22 year olds that are two years away. Yeah. Three years away. Cleveland is going to be a force because they have so many numbers here. They're going to be good in 2024. They've got like three options in the minor leagues at each position right now, which is cool as hell. They just have to figure out how they're going to translate that, right? Like I look at the Marlins side of things. We talk about it with the pitchers. You have all the pitchers, but can you translate that into bats and and big league bats and and turn it into a legitimate big league roster? Because at the end of the day, having 10 10 shortstops that are pretty good – it doesn't matter unless you make the right moves to turn that into the pieces that you need. So we'll talk about some of those guys, which we think they should hold on to and, you know, which could be dangled as trade bait potentially because the guardians they're in a weird tweener spot as we've talked about on the just baseball show where you have Jose Ramirez, who's a free agent in two years. We don't know what they're going to do with him. Uh, You kind of want to try to win in the next year or two. And I'm not saying win the world series, but you know, get to the playoffs, which I think they can do. So maybe making a few quick moves uh, to go get some big league talent could help you do that. Some of these guys could contribute as soon as next year as well. Daniel Espino probably not contributing next year. He's a little bit more raw. I'd say 2023 is the ETA. But personally, I'm higher on Espino. As as we see, I was kind of curious where Espino would be in the updates. And I'll be honest, I was expecting him to jump more. Uh, in a lot of these top 100 lists that we saw from Fangraphs, Baseball America, et cetera. Uh, but Espino was a surprise to me that didn't quite jump as much. Consensus top 60 guy, I would say. Uh, but to me, I think he's even higher than that. He'll be probably in the top 35, 40 uh, in, in our update, which should be out in the next week or so. I think the stuff's just too good. He's an athlete. He has tree trunks for legs. Mechanics are not that shaky, in my opinion. Like, I, I think he's he's starting to show the athleticism on the mound. But the stuff is crazy, man. Jack, before before I kick it to you, I'll just give a quick little rundown on the stuff because it's stupid. Yeah. Uh, but first, the stats. 91 and a thirds innings last year between low A and high A. 3.73 ERA. The FIP indicates he was a little bit better at 3.14. 40% K rate, 10% walk rate. Not bad at all for a guy with his stuff that was, you know, that's 20 years old. Um what really stands out to me, though, is the fastball, which is 97, really sits at 97, can reach triple digits, off the chart spin rates, 2,600 RPMs, and he got a ton of swinging strikes on that pitch. 
he would freeze hitters at the knees because it looked like you're so used to in your brain, a pitch starts at a certain level. It's going to drop naturally because that gravity thing uh, and out of the strike zone, but it stays on such a rope for Espino that he got a ton of just guys looking at the knees. And then of course, you're going to get those elevated swings and misses too. He had the second best swinging strike rate on his fastball in all of the minor leagues. And actually the second best swinging strike rate period behind only Spencer Strider of the Braves. So, I mean, this is a guy who's got legit, legit stuff. When you get to the secondary slider is maybe one of the best sliders in the minors. It's absolutely disgusting. I don't know what, what video you were able to dig up, but when I was watching through his starts, he had the kind of slider like Alec Manoa esque, not in type, not by movement profile, but by make you look like an absolute idiot profile. Uh, yeah. That's what Espino has going on there. Change up and curveball show more than enough signs as well. Yeah, I, I love the flat. I love the fastball slider combo. And you're right. It's it's a hard. It's a biting slider. It's one of those that you know with Manoa, it almost looks like he's yanking it across the zone with the way that he delivers it. That's kind of what Espino gives you. Um, and the fastball and slider, like they tunnel well, I think off of each other, they complement each other really well here. That's what you want from a reliever. If you have it from a starter, it's game over. You saw it with Freddie Peralta this year. You saw it beginning of the year with Waskari Noah this year. You know, when you can complement fastball slider, you only need two pitches to get you through five innings. Question is change up or curveball. Which one's going to be the one to help him get through seven innings consistently with Espino? It's fun because he hit puberty after he was drafted, it feels like, right? He was that acne-laden teenager that was in the MLB Network studios when he was drafted in the first round. And then all of a sudden, he's got a full beard and he looks, you know, filled out and he looks like one of the best pitching prospects in baseball. Um, you know who else was like Espino, that, right? You know who else was what? like that? Grayson Rodriguez was similar. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, continue. I just wanted to get, I just wanted to say that because it was a similar kind of like progression that you saw with G-Rod physically right after the draft. Totally. It's like, okay, you're taken and he looks like a high school pitcher. It's like, okay, yeah, I mean, he's got to fill out. He's going to take some time. And then all of a sudden, the filling out process is done when they're in high A, which is yep. freaking awesome. Um, what I found really interesting with Espino and similar trend with Rokio, who we'll get to momentarily, is Espino got better when he jumped levels this year. So 10 starts with low A in Lynchburg, 10 starts with high A in Lake County. That's where you get the 91 and two-thirds innings, 92 innings. Um, he struck out 15 guys per night as a 20-year-old across low and high A. Mentioned 338 ERA in Lynchburg, 404 ERA in Lake, in Lake County. So it, it looks like he got worse. But let's look at the K rate and the walk rate when he made the jump from low A to high A. K rate jumped 9%, 36% strikeout rate in low A, 45% strikeout rate when he got to high A. That's stupid. And the walk rate trended down 13% in low A, 8% in high A. 8% in high A was a career low at any level. So this guy went from 36 and 13 to 45 and 8. If he continues to trend like that as he ascends levels, the world is his oyster. Exactly. And, and I think that's a really good point that you bring up because at the end of the day, the most important thing we want to see with the Spino is the command, right? Like that's, yeah. that's, the, that's the big X factor. No one's doubting the stuff. No one's really doubting uh, the physicality and, and all of the things that he has built in. So to see that command even improve marginally against better level competition, where it that generally goes the other way. Uh, the strike zone doesn't really change too much from low A to high A. It's more it shouldn't. It, it's more the upper levels where you'll see the strike zone shrink a little bit. Um, from yeah. what players have t told me, 
um, especially when you get to AAA. Uh, but the reason why you see the command kind of go wayward is the fastball doesn't play the same. And now they're going to the secondary more, or, you know, these guys are spinning on secondaries more and now you're struggling and you're more forced to throw it for a strike. Espino was still able to dominate with the heater. Um, and I think that was something that he, he gained more confidence in as the year went on. And I mean, when it's sitting 97, 98 uh, and has the, the profile that it has, you're going to have some good success. Jack, what do you think the opponent's OPS was against the slider this past year, which he went to a decent amount, almost 30% of the time. What do you think the OPS was for opponents between both levels? If you're saying best slider in minor league baseball, possibly, I'm going to say OPS around 550. 375. No way. 375 with a 59% K rate. No way. <laughs> Swear. <laughs> How crazy is that? I'm That's telling you, disgusting. I watched, I, I, I went to the point where I, I queued up all sliders and I just sat back and just watched them all. I was like, I just want to, like, I, I wanted to see how they tunneled and everything. And after I felt like I saw enough of how he used the horse and I was like, I just want to see all the sliders. I queued up sliders I just yeah. sat there and I just relaxed and watched him just throw slider after slider after slider. And the thing that amazes me about him is, and this was something Kyle Nicholas said when we did, um, we did the sit down with him just going over his arsenal and he had a couple sliders that backed up on him uh, that ended up being good pitches. And he goes, no pitcher ever tries to do that, but that ends up sometimes being the best pitch in baseball, a slider that backs up on you. Uh, Cause the hitters expecting it to do one thing and does the other thing. Espino, when he would lose it sometimes or not really hit the spot that he wanted, the slider was so good that it would back up on him and it would still be a strike. And so like he was making mistakes that were good. Uh, that's the crazy thing with the slider. When you brought up the point, you know, what's the third pitch going to be? I actually like the change up more, more than the curveball at this point, which is good. I, I would prefer that if, if I'm yes. picking uh, for yes. his outlook and especially working off of the fastball, you talk about the tunneling with the fastball slider. He, he repeats the arm, uh, the arm angle and the release really well. So it's hard to read it out of his hand. And that slider is like sitting upper eighties, low nineties. The change looks good. It looks good. Mix in the curveball to steal strikes here and there. And I mean, I, I really expect this guy to stick in the rotation and I don't know why he's not considered a higher level prospect. I know we're splitting hairs when we're talking, Oh, why is he 60 instead of 30? Uh, but the reason why I'm, I'm more paying attention to that is a lot of the right-handed pitchers that were ranked above him. I don't know if I totally see that. Um, I think he's right up there with just about anybody. Yeah. I mean, think the, think the Carlos Rodon pitch profile here, where you come in with a world-class slider, you're taking third overall because of the slider. That's what Espino, Espino's golden ticket to the bigs is the fastball slider combination. You can live off that, but the way you can become Cy Young caliber starter is by adding a pitch and then having a feeler pitch in there, you know, just to steal strikes. Correct. If he can throw six curveballs a start and just get strikes there because it's a different look, that's huge for him. That was huge for Rodon, just to have a fourth pitch, to spin in there occasionally, steal a strike, throw hitters off their timing a teensy bit, and then go back to your bread and butter, fastball being the bread, slider being the butter. That's that's what's been really fun. I'm deciding right now on the episode, so I know what to refer back to it. I'm going to call it pros perspective. So for the pros perspective that we do on YouTube, that was something that, you know, I always thought maybe that's something I put too much stock into and maybe it's not as important. You know, you ever have those internal struggles with yourself? It's like, is this something that's not as important to the actual guys playing the game? And it might just be something that I put too much stock into. 
Like the mixing yeah. in the curveball 5% of the time or mixing in that fourth pitch 5% of the time, that's always something I look for. And, and the numbers kind of back up that that works for guys. But I, I always wondered, like, maybe a player would tell me, yeah, it's not that important. I've had hitters and pitchers tell me, when you see that, it's just like kind of creeps into the back of your head. So pitchers love to be able to do that. They see the results of it. And it, it, the second time around the order, if you can flash it a couple times, got, hitters are starting to think, whoa. And, and I know for other hitters, when we talk to Joey Weimer, he's like, yeah, if I see that, for me, I just was like, don't think about it anymore. Like, okay, he mixed in that curveball. He didn't throw it enough in the beginning for a reason. Make him throw it again. Just forget that pitch ever came. And, and that's why I love Weimer. Like, he, he would just simplify it that much, whereas a lot of other hitters would be like, okay, now I'm aware of that one. And they're making all these – I think of just a complicated, like, brain blast Jimmy Neutron style, where sometimes you got to just always sunny simplify thing. it. You, yeah. Yeah. The always, yeah, the sunny, always sunny map. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So like, yeah, some hitters will be like Joey Weimer and just delete it, but some others it'll get in their head. And I mean, if you, you already have the fastball slider to get in their head, I think the changeup shows life. I have 50 present 60 future. I think he can actually develop that pitch. Um, and can you imagine a good changeup working off of that fastball with the slider as well? You mix in a curveball. I mean, this guy could be realistically the ceiling is top 10 pitcher in baseball. I think like, yeah, that's the ceiling. Obviously there's a lot that has to happen for him to get there, but when you, you can look at some pitchers, there's very few where you can look at them and say, that's his ceiling. Daniel Espino is one of them. Yeah. Not many guys in minor league baseball have a top 10 pitcher in baseball ceiling right now. I mean, who are we looking at here? We're looking at G rod for sure. Uh, lighter for sure. And then after that, I don't know. I, I don't put that ceiling. Who? Boz. Boz. Yeah, I guess. Um, yes, but no. Like, I love Boz. I don't know if he's ever going to be top ten. Yeah, um, but like, I'm I, I could, you. I could give, I could give that guy. Like, I could put him in there. Um, I could put him in there. I, I think Lodolo can't get there, but with Green and the way the fastball is, I could see Hunter Green being yes, a top absolutely. 10 anytime, anytime you're that athletic and that gifted, that guy's, that guy's got a chance. You know, like that's, that's always going to be someone that has a chance. And, and so you, let's say let's say five guys in minor yeah, league baseball give, right now give or take two pitcher ceilings give or take give two or take if we're two. missing one like Kirby and, maybe sure uh, like uh, and that's about it right like that's insane yeah that tells you Espino is one of the best pitching prospects in baseball he is deserving of being a top fifty guy for sure and I and I'm excited for uh, people to see where we rank him that's one of the guys that I think will be just baseball's kind of flagpole um yeah because which i love because we just saw fan graphs stick their flagpole on a guy we're going to talk about and i talked about it when i just did the the recap or the breakdown of fan graphs top 100 and i loved how they put their flag down on the stephen kwan stock um we'll yeah. get to him because i'm in agreement with them not that high i think they had him at 57 but i'm here for it i love that um, yeah. But a guy that they were lower on, they actually, Fangraphs had George Valera outside of the top 100, which I thought was really interesting. Uh, yeah. I believe he was like 107. Valera is number two for us. Uh, Holby top 50. I can promise you that. He's not far behind Espino. As I said, those guys are somewhat in their own tier at the top. Valera was spectacular last season as a 20-year-old between high A and double A. Yes, he naturally hit a, like a little bit of a wall in double A, but it was more the power output that was impacted. He was still pretty solid, struck out 30% of the time, but still was able to work some walks, put the bat on the ball. He was more than comfortable. That's a big freaking jump. I talk about it with every player on here, how big of a jump that is. And this is a dude that was extremely raw, bat speed above all, 
raw power, not that many ABs, misses 2020, one of your classic candidates to struggle with that big jump. And he really didn't. I'll give you the cumulative numbers, and then we can talk about the the numbers as they pertain to high A to double A and and the adjustment. But overall, 260-405-505 slash line, 19 bombs, 148 WRC plus, 18% walk rate, 24% K rate. That's between high A and double A combined. I mean, this guy's got as much upside as any offensive prospect in this entire Guardian system. 100%. um, The swing looks like it could be a 30-bomb swing. It is. So fun to watch. Um, This guy just had his first legal drink in November. He is young, just like everybody else on the position player side, with the exception of maybe Stephen Bond. Um, Everybody's young. Everybody is mature beyond their years. Uh, With Valera, I mean, this guy had a 21% walk rate in high A. He was dynamite. He was taking everything that was outside the zone. It was perfect. Um, there's no need to rush somebody that's 20 years old in high A, even if they're really good. Spend the entire year in high A, and then next year as a 21-year-old, go ahead, be in double A. Uh, but he rushed himself in August because he had an exceptional August in high A. 19 games, 8 bombs, 732 slugging, and OPS over 1,200. That got him from Lake County to Akron. I mean, this guy decided to turn it on in the middle of the summer and say, I am too good to ignore. Send me to double a right now. You peasants. And that's what he did. Yeah. It was aggressive. It was an aggressive assignment relative to his experience, but he was wasting his time in high. What were you going to do? Like, were you going to slug or were you going to have a 1300 OPS instead of a 1200 OPS? And the problem is, and it wasn't a problem. I'm saying the problem is so why they had to call him up as well is that, you know, the command is, is there's a big difference in command between high A and double A with pitchers, right? That That's one of the big things. And um, another thing that when I was talking to Weimer was, he was like, it was actually easier for me to hit when I went from low A to high A because guys threw more strikes. I didn't have to worry about effectively wild guys where he yeah. puts one over your head and then the next one's on the outside corner, which I could not imagine how like much that would dome you up. Valera, as you mentioned, he doesn't chase 17% chase rate between the two levels uh, last year. So when you're a guy that's not chasing and, you're in low or high a where I think in his league, they just were not throwing strikes that much. It's going to be difficult to, to really get your reps in at that point. Like he's just sitting there almost just waiting for guys that can actually throw strikes and pound the zone. And that's kind of exactly what it was for Valera. So once he got the call up, the walk rate dropped, but he was still at 11%, which is well above average and the strikeout rate. Yeah. 30%. I think some of that was because he's passive. He is overall a passive hitter and you got to strike that balance, right? It's okay to be passive, but when you're working later in accounts, deeper in accounts against guys that have better quality of stuff and more command of their secondaries, you can't get away with it as much. So Valera was pulling off a lot of two strike hits, two strike homers was comfortable in those situations. Uh, But when you get to double a, these guys can, can execute pitches better in those two strike counts. You don't want to get yourself there. So was good to see a little bit more aggression out of Valera later in the year as he got more comfortable in double A. And he just had to shift his approach a little bit. I think he knew I could hunt fastball only in high A because these guys aren't going to locate three breaking balls. Whereas in double A takes a couple strikes before he knows that he's in a two strike count and a guy locates one good pitch and, and, and you're in trouble. Um, so that was kind of the adjustment for Valera. That's why we saw the power scale back. But it was by no means egregious, 30% K rate, 11% walk rate for a guy that was well below the average age at that level. Uh, he, more, he more than had a fantastic year. 
Valera is getting some run defensively in center field. He's not a center fielder, as I know you know that too. But you saw him a little bit more in game action out there. Uh, I was watching a lot of you know video back on him, looking at him move. He's definitely a fine defender in the corner. Is he good enough to get you know to play center field in a pinch, uh, or, yeah. or are we going to start to see those? And we've already seen it phased out. He's playing less and less center field, but could he play there in a pinch? Yes. Like the answer is yes. Is he a big league center fielder? No. Um, and that's a firm no. So I've seen him track baseballs. He looks like a really good baseball player, you know, that's that is somehow in center field, right? He doesn't yeah. look like he's lost out there. Um, do I think he's the right fielder of the future for the guardians? I do. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think the arm is good enough oh, and I sure. think the defense is solid enough. Yeah. Um, he's going to be a solid defense, right fielder, who is hitter first. He's not a center fielder. He's not. Uh, but the good news is Stephen Kwan can be the center fielder. We're not to Kwan yet. We'll get there soon. Uh, but Valera can hop in either corner and give you above average defense for sure. Yeah, no doubt about it. Because I mean, and at the end of the day, right, it's about the bat. Like the, the bat's what you're what you're putting the stock into here. But he can be more than a fine defender out there. I really doubt we see him in center unless there's a scenario where your center fielder goes down. Like if he's going to make a few starts out there for a few weeks, he's good enough because he's got the instincts. He's fine in the outfield, but you're really playing. You're, you're focusing on the bat here and the bat is really good. I really think that it was huge for Valera to get that taste of double a to really get that opportunity to work things out, understand how the passive approach may not work as well there. I'm expecting him to come out gangbusters next year in double A. What, what, what are you thinking, Jack? Yeah. You know, if he spent the entire year in high A and just shredded, I think he would lack the urgency when he got to double A and mm. maybe was outperformed by the class. Um, I, I think you're right. I think that taste of double A at the end, he was up there for what, two weeks? I want to say maybe three weeks. I think closer um, to three. Closer to three. Um, yeah. Like, I think it was good for him to see, okay, my, my strikeout rate ran from 22 to 30. Like I, the pitchers were a little bit better than me. So hopefully that is translated into a very productive off season for him. For sure. Uh, and, and I agree. I think there's a chance he comes out swinging like crazy up to AAA by the all-star break. And, you know, it, if he performs well in AAA, maybe we're having the break camp conversation. 2023 is one of the youngest big leaguers on an opening day roster. No doubt about it. And the last thing I'll say on him is, you know, it's not really a swing issue. Uh, I don't really think he needs to make any major physical adjustments to succeed in double A. It's very much approach oriented, which I think is great. He's so young. He can work through that. And that's why I think he'll be a lot more comfortable next year. He does have the leg kick, but his load reminds me a bit of uh, O'Neill Cruz, where he relies on a weight shift back that is timed up with a barrel tip. It's really rhythmic and he times it up really well. And I see no issue with it. I think he's going to be just fine swing mechanically. It's just going to be at bats experience and approach. And and he's going to get more and more of that. So very excited to see Valera next year. Another guy that I am tabbing as wouldn't be a breakout since he was so solid this year, but that can kind of take that next step to being one of the most more elite prospects in the game. Uh, Another guy who kind of did that this past year is Brian Rocchio. And, And am I saying that right before you start correcting me? Rokio, yes. yeah, not Rokio, 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 yeah, Rokio. He's freaking good, man. Um, I'll be honest. He's a guy that 
there's certain prospects that just, I don't, I don't come across as much. I don't see him play as much. They slip a little bit more under my radar. I keep hearing Rokio, Rokio or Rokio, whatever people were calling him. I kept hearing about him. People were asking me more, more questions about him. I liked what I saw. I didn't know if I saw as much of an impact player. A lot of people, uh, and I know Jeff Ponce from Baseball America, when he came on uh, the call up, he was talking about how he really just likes the floor for Rokio because he, he can pick it at shortstop. He's a fine defender, above average defender, if anything. Uh, switch hitter, good bat to ball skills, good instincts in the field, good athlete. He can run. It's just, it's just a high floor guy. But now all of a sudden, he's running into baseballs more. He's 5'10, 170, but pretty natural lift, natural carry. And all of a sudden, we saw him hit, what was it, 17 home runs last year? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, the guy can swing it for some power now. Um, and there's a little bit of, I'm not saying he's going to be this good, but there's a little bit of Francisco Lindor in there, right? I mean, of the swing from the left side looks pretty similar. The skill set is similar. I'm not saying he's going to be that kind of player, but there's a little Francisco Lindor light as a switch hitting shortstop who can do a little bit of everything. Yeah, well, and I think where you see a lot of Lindor is the processing speed. I think the processing speed is is quicker than pretty much everybody else in minor league baseball. The way he ticks defensively, especially, and then at the plate too with his bat to ball skills, um, you know, it, it's just different than a lot of other people. And I, I'm not trying to do the, you know, smoke coming out of the nose emoji and like the purple devil. Like yeah, he's I was, I'm just different. Like yeah, I'm built different. different. He's not built different, but he processes at a different speed. The game works slower for him. Um, I think when he does make his MLB debut, a lot of people talk about how fast the major league game is. I don't think he's having that conversation there. Well, um, we saw that yeah. in double A, right? Yeah, exactly. So you saw the numbers climb. Um, and I, listen, I'm all here for, for seeing the numbers climb. Just talked about it with Espino. I'm going to talk about it with Rokio now. So the average went from 265 to 293. The OBP jumped 23 points. So, okay. But the slugging jumped 80 points, like you're talking about. All in all, in high A, he had a 765 OPS. And in double A, he jumped 100 points to an 865 OPS. That's a jump. That is a legitimate jump that you cannot call a fluke. He knows how to hit better pitching. Yeah. And another guy that benefited from better command pitchers, right? He's a guy that can have good ABs against polished pitchers and actually was almost better off in those scenarios. It's rare. There's not a lot of guys like that, but guys that have good instincts, good approach, uh, and just an overall feel for the game are going to benefit from pitchers that pitch more like the guys that you're going to see in the big leagues and more like the guys that are polished and not just throwing their pitchers. And Rokio really was able to, to get comfortable there. What I really liked that we saw from him is, you know, you see a lot of power grades on Rokio and they're extremely low. Um, and he's one of those guys that's always going to out punch kind of his frame because of how easy he backspins baseballs. Yeah. I like the right-handed swing better. Uh, and that's the frustrating thing with switch hitters that are better from the right side. I think the numbers back it up. His OPS was either above a thousand or encroaching on a thousand from the right side, closer to the mid seven hundreds from the left side. I w that wasn't even confirmation bias. What prompted me to look was the fact that I was just watching that right-handed swing and I just saw more impact there. Uh, but that's not to say that the left-handed swing isn't good enough. Uh, it's just tough. I really struggle when switch hitters are are pretty decently better from the right side. Still, I really like his swing from both sides. The left-handed swing, like I said, is a bit remin reminiscent of Lindor, bat on the shoulder, keep it pretty quiet, but then 
quiet to loud and explosive, which I like. And um, the, the natural lift, the home run to fly ball rate got better and better as the year went on. And we, we saw him just impact the baseball at a different rate. What I like is he can use the whole field. Uh, he's, he's a tough guy to strike out. He is a bit aggressive at times, which is interesting because he does have a good approach, but I think he has so much trust. It's, it's a classic thing that we see with guys with good bats of ball skills. So much trust in the bats of ball skills that uh, we're a little bit trigger happy. I think that's what we saw with Rokio at times, and that got exposed a bit more on the breaking ball. He does struggle with curveball, so I'd like to see him show a little bit more discipline. But again, this is a guy that had success in double A as a younger player at that level, has the tools across the board. And for me, the, the top three wasn't hard. It, it kind of gets hard after that, but it, Rokio was was pretty clearly to me the number three prospect in the system with his tools across the board and now all of a sudden this uh, developing power. Yeah, and, and an adjective that you can't attach to many prospects in baseball that you can't attach to Rokio, which I think made him a consensus top three guy in the system is comfortable. He's yes. a comfortable baseball player. He looks yes. comfortable defensively. He looks comfortable at the plate. Yeah, he might chase. Yeah, he might you know go and try and get a slider that bounces a foot in front of the plate, but it doesn't look horrible like it does for Baez at times, right? Because he looks uncomfortable at the plate at points. Rokio, that's not really the case. Like if, if he swings at a pitch that bounces a foot in front of the plate, he's going to step out of the box, take a deep breath, and then put a good swing on the next pitch. Yeah. Um, the, the quick adjustment period and, and the speed at which he goes through this game is different, and that's why he's a top three prospect. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. And the ability, like you said, to adjust pitch to pitch and not make the same mistake and duplicate the same mistake is something that you can't really teach. It's, pre it's pretty hard to, to teach. Uh, another guy that to me, I, this was where it starts to get tough, right? When we're getting into the four, five, six, and the rest of the system, it's really difficult. And, you know, we, we see people all over the map on Tyler Freeman and Freeman's not just not here for me yet. He's just not in this range yet, Jack. And I, I don't know if you disagree. Uh, I'm, I'm interested to talk about it because for me, Gabriel Arias is the number four prospect in this system. Um, it, it was between Arias and Quan to spoil who number five is. Uh, so Freeman's kicking back even further. Uh, but for me, Gabriel Arias, I think people really forget how young this guy is and what he's already done. Nothing jumps off the page with this guy. Uh, but at the end of the day, 21 years old and had success in AAA, made the jump from a 19-year-old in high A all the way to AAA with Cleveland this year, was traded in 2020 in that Mike Clevenger deal, was pretty much one of the, one of the headliners in that. And, dude, I mean, he had a good year in AAA. You look at the numbers across the board, 284, 348, 454. It's good for a 115 WRC+, 23% K rate, 8% walk rate, 13 home runs. All that with plus defense at short. I mean, this guy is probably susceptible to slumps. He has a little bit of swing and miss in his game, a little bit of aggressiveness. But there's legit power. There's a legit glove. There's above average speed. And the – Hit tool, everyone questions the hit tool, and I get it, but the guy is hit at every level. So maybe there's just some guys that can circumvent poor their poor approach, and I wouldn't even say his approach is poor, but questionable yeah. approach. Yeah. And I mean, if he's 21 years old, putting up a 15% above average clip in AAA, how bad is the approach? He's not 21. Happy belated birthday to Gabriel Arias. He 22. just turned 22 years old yesterday, February 27th birthday. Happy belated Gabriel Arias. Happy birthday, Gabriel. But he was 22 or 21 in AAA. But yes, 22 now. So yes. the point stands, right? Uh, it's, it's 
pretty good. No, you kind of, you got to totally readjust your your viewpoint now that he's a year older. Well, he yeah. was, yeah, yeah. All right, shoot. Yeah. Area's Fair. washed. Washed. Should we delete this podcast and start yes. over? He's washed. Okay. He's terrible. He's, he's twenty two totally already. That's something Griffin <laughs> always jokes with me about because he always sees people talking about him. he's twenty three in high A, and Griff's like. Oh no, I'm going to die of old age before I get to the big leagues. Like yeah. I get it from a scouting perspective, but it's always funny to hear players. They're just like, they don't, they're like, who cares? <laughs> I'm who between cares? the two. It matters. But at the same time, it, do, it doesn't, it's not an end all be all. There's older prospects that have come through. That's a digression. He was 21 for the majority of the season. Well, the entire season in AAA and was above average. If he had true, true detrimental approach flaws, I feel like those would have been exposed, right? I mean, they might get exposed a little bit at the big leagues, but he's closer than I think a lot of people think. Yeah, no, he spent 115 games in Columbus this past year. I want to walk you through strikeout rate by level by year. In 2018 with Fort Wayne, which is the low A with the Padres, 30%. In 2019 with Lake Elsinore, which is high A of the Padres, 25%. So a 5% drop. And then this past year with Columbus in AAA with Cleveland, 23%. So he's cut it down from 30 to 25 to 23 each of his last three years as he climbs levels, 19, 20, 21 years old. So this guy, I think 23% will be where it hovers, maybe in the 23 to 25 range at the big league level. But that's fine. Like if you bring solid defense as a shortstop, decent bat to ball skills and the ability for 10 to 15 home runs, I'm fine with the 25% strikeout rate. Uh, before we get any farther with Arias, I just want to shout out this deal uh, because Cleveland absolutely shredded San Diego. Well, it's not deal. fair, though. The Tommy John surgery is not fair. OK, so let's talk about it at the end of 2022, because I think Clevenger's off the books after this year or he maybe is. next year. I he think is. this year. But I, I still agree with from the lens of they maximized return. So continue. They maximized return. So Clevenger went to San Diego with Greg Allen, who did not play a game for the Padres. He was a Yankee this past year. And then Matt Waldron, who has turned into a knuckleballer, who I think could be good and I think could be like a big league arm for the Padres. Um, as a knuckleballer, I have no idea what his ceiling is. But Cleveland received Arias, Cal Quantrill, who looks like a middle-of-the-rotation guy for the next five years, Josh Naylor, who could be a fine big league bat. Yeah, hopefully he Austin Hedges. Obviously flawed Austin Hedges, but he can catch. Joey Cantillo, who I think can be a big league arm, and we'll talk about him at the end of the pod. And then Owen Miller, who is a big depth league piece. bat, maybe an asset. He's a depth piece. Yeah. That's a ton of stuff for a year of Mike Clevenger. Yeah. I mean, even if it was even if Mike Clevenger was shoving, you know, let's say he was Mike Clevenger that he was with Cleveland. Um, I would still say that's a fantastic, like that's a good return, right? I, yeah. I think it was a really solid return. So uh Great trade. It's unfortunate how it's shaken out for him in San Diego with the injury. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think no doubt a good return with big league pieces and some solid depth pieces. And uh, you know, to wrap up on areas, I mean, there's not too much to say about him other than you know, this is a guy that has a great ability to defend and, and brings a lot of tools to the table. The hit tool is going to be the question. But as you mentioned, he has dropped the K rate as he has ascended levels. There's yeah. that matters. Um, that's not to say he's going to get to the big leagues and the K rates in the teens. But he's shown an ability to improve, uh, to, to feel things out. And I'm expecting this guy to, to be a legit shortstop. Honestly, I wouldn't be shocked if 
if he ends up being, he could probably play third with the power he offers and he'd be a good defender there. Um, obviously you got Jose Ramirez over there, but this is a guy that I think could be a part of the long-term future over there. It depends where you're going to put Rokio. It depends how some of these guys shake out, but I'll say I like Arias and Rokio a lot more than Tyler Freeman, uh, for example. And I, I know baseball America had Freeman at number one. Um, I, I know that that wasn't a consensus belief, uh, but I just think Freeman's more of a trade chip at this point. I would rather have Arias. Would you? So I would, yes, but I was also thinking that with Rokio there, this is trade chip number one here that we get to. Yep. You know what? I get it because Freeman's probably going to move to, well, and we'll get to him. He's going to move to second, right? So Rokio, I know, we all know the Guardians prefer over Arias. Um, yeah, this could be trade chip number one. It could be. And you know what? Any team that gets Arias, they could probably, if it's a rebuilding squad, you could throw them in the big leagues. Um, Easy. And that's that's, Easy. that's a, a pretty pretty awesome thing here. I agree. This could be trade chip number one. Um, and that's a pretty darn good one. Yeah. Um, another guy here that really wasn't a trade chip at all. He wasn't really viewed as much of an asset coming into this year. Stephen Kwan. Stephen Kwan, number five overall prospect, was also a fifth round pick back in 2018 by Cleveland. Part of that just unreal collegiate team at Oregon state with that Adelie Rutschman dude, that Nick Madrigal guy, Trevor Larnick as well. Uh, bunch of hitters. And what's funny is there's a lot of similarities to Quan and Madrigal, but Quan offers a lot more pop. And I say that that sounds like he has a lot of pop. He doesn't, uh, but Madrigal you're praying for two to bounce off the top of the wall and get over or like hit so like Canseco in the head and go over. Like that's how Madrigal is going to get his, Quan can run into him every once in a while. He hit 12 this past season. He starts with a very upright stance and then gets into this leg kick similar to Madrigal, but is able to just duplicate it and repeat it. And is such a good athlete that he is on time all the time. Can you guess what Stephen Kwan's zone contact rate was last year? Uh, do you know what the average MLB zone contact rate is? It's like 80%. Uh, it's like 80%. What is it? 80? It's like 80. Okay. What's, what's like Madrigal's? Like 97, 94, 94. Okay. I bet Quan was 90, 95%. No way. 95 point something. So close to 96. Obviously you get to the big leagues. It's going to, it's going to dip a tad, but that would have been the highest in the big leagues last year. And uh, most of the guys that are in that area, in that 94 to 95% in the minor leagues are all just bat to ball contact guys Tyler Freeman's 92% but Freeman doesn't impact the baseball Quan is gap to gap and now you know added some muscle started lifting the ball a bit more pole side there's a there's there's average power I think pole side and he leverages his counts well seven of his 12 home runs came with two strikes man so even when he's not leveraging his counts he's comfortable and I mean Quan's just a complete player he's just a complete freaking player we haven't even got to the defense yet uh, but, the, but the bat, I mean, he uses the whole field. If he can give you 10 to 15 home runs with what he can do bat to ball wise and ability to get on base wise, and not to mention he's a plus runner who can be an above average, a plus defender in center or gold glove caliber corner. I, I, I really like Juan to help this team like the second the season starts. I'm going to gush about batting average and OBP for a minute. Is that okay? Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm not outdated by gushing about batting average. No. Um, three years at Oregon State, he hit 329 with a 431 OBP. 
that that's a hitter. That's a college hitter. Junior year at Oregon State, that was 2018 when they won the Natty, if I'm not mistaken. He hit 356 as the leadoff guy with a 463 OBP in 66 games. So dumb. That's like best leadoff hitter in college baseball level. 2019 with high A Lynchburg, he hit 280. 280 was like, oh my God, this guy is falling for Stephen Kwan. He jumped that back up. In 2021, 51 games in double A, he hit 337. He hit 311 in 26 games with Columbus and AAA this year. Like this guy just hits. He's a batting average guy. He's a batting average OBP guy. You mentioned that. Like he walks. Like Stephen Kwan is I don't a 320 guy that walks. How does he walk? I don't understand. I don't Magical know. doesn't walk. Magical doesn't walk in and Quan Magical didn't walk in the minors either. So for people that are like, oh, he won't walk when he gets to the bigs. Magical didn't walk in the minors. Quan walks. He just he gets on base. I, I I don't know how. He spoils tough pitches. He works counts. He probably worked as many full counts as any guy in the minor leagues last year. Um, and as a result, he's either going to finally get a pitch that he can hit out of the yard or do something with, or a walk. And that's a thing with Quan. And he can steal 25 bags. That's the that's the one thing, is it hasn't become a part of his game yet but he has the speed to do it. Yeah. I'm just surprised that we haven't seen him really swipe back. I think he was six for eight last year. Yeah. I, he, he can. And I'm interested to see how that part of his game develops because he's got the instincts in center. He's quick, makes good reads in center. Haven't seen that translate in the base paths yet. If he can swipe 20 plus bags, this guy's a, a really good center fielder for the foreseeable future. I still think he's a better option than uh Miles straw out there. Miles straw is, elite defensively, but Quan gives you good defense and gives you a lot more with the bat. Yeah. We, you know, we've talked about it with some other prospects and some other organizations, but lean into what you do. Well, you know what I mean? Like a lot of guys are trying to become something that they are not. And the the quicker you lean into what you do well, the better you will serve your team. Um, I don't think we should talk about actually serving a team right now. Sorry with the, uh, with the labor dispute going on right now, but uh, it, the better piece he becomes for the Cleveland Guardians if Stephen Kwan just leans into what he does well. And Absolutely. that's really solid defense, high batting average, high OBP, and he can swipe some bags too. That's um, the crazy he's thing. He's going to run into 10. That's the crazy thing. With with his batting average so high, he still produced a 934 OPS. So he's still slugging enough with the extra base hits and walks uh, with with the OBP that, I mean, yeah, this this guy is one of the more slept on names, I would say, uh, in, in all of the minor leagues. And he could make a, a pretty solid impact at the top of the order for the Guardians next year. And I think he's going to make a pretty easy transition. I mean, there's there's not really a hole in his game whatsoever. Easy transition. Defensively, you want to hear my comp? Who? Kyler Murray. <laughs> what? Scrambling. Out of the pocket. Like, Murray is, you know, quick footsteps, gets to where he needs to be quickly, um, and, yeah. and can dance a little bit. He's I, like, his feet are like this, Kyler Murray, when he yeah, runs. Yeah, like, but that's like Quan, right? Like in the outfield, you see Quan just scooting. Yeah, he can move, Quick man. steps, Kyler he can Murray. scoot. Kyler Murray with his little choppy steps. Yeah, uh, choppy steps. But that's, I want to see that translate on the base paths, man. Uh, yeah, why not? Coming in at number six is finally Tyler Freeman. Uh, I just don't love Tyler Freeman. I, I don't hate him. Like he's a big leaguer, no doubt about it. Um, and in most other systems, he's comfortably top five. But the limited ceiling here is really what, what keeps him out of the top five, whereas each of these other guys, I think you can dream on a bit more. I can't rationalize having Freeman ahead of Quan, given that Freeman has to move to second, Quan can stick in center, Quan offers more power, Quan's a left-handed bat, Quan's a better runner, uh, he walks more. It, it just, to me, I don't really understand how, if you're going with two 
plus hit tool guys. And Quan, I gave a 70. Freeman's more of a 60 um, because he swings at a, at a bit more. Uh, he's another guy, good bat to ball, but does have an above average chase rate because he thinks he can hit everything and he kind of can. But he ends up putting a lot of balls in play that he can't do much with. Uh, Freeman's a guy that could play shortstop in a pinch, probably moving to second. The arm just isn't good enough. He's a good player. You know, he's a contact-oriented second baseman that can, you know, do a little bit of, of everything, but he's not going to hit for much power at all. I mean, you're going to get five home runs max, I think, from him. There's hope that there's more in there. I don't really see it. Um Maybe he can develop into an eight to 10 guy, but he's a second baseman with bat to ball skills. I mean, I just don't see much more than that. I, I just think it's fun that there's a realistic world where in a year or two, you could see four Cleveland guardians hitting three ten. You Which could see, we just don't see ever anymore, ever. You could see Jose Ramirez hitting three ten. You could see Steven Kwan hitting three ten. You could see Rokio hitting three ten. And you could also see Tyler Freeman hitting and Austin hedges. Shut up. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, Freeman, like the dude hit 352 in 72 games in short season ball in 2018. That's what he can do. Um, but granted, it was short season ball. So in double A this year, 41 games, 323 with an 842 OPS um, before a labrum tear in his left shoulder. He's a righty hitter. That's the lead shoulder. That's the labrum tear. That's what Josh Young just went through in the Rangers organization. Um, so how he bounces back from that, how the swing looks, we'll see. But it's just really refreshing to see strikeout rates this low. Yes. And I think you can see the methodology here with the guardians. I almost want to sprinkle in some power hitting freaks, which they do have with Jackensi Noel and a few other guys. And we'll get to Nolan Jones who has power. It just hasn't totally translated yet, but their bat to ball approach is clearly what the guardians have been looking for. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Freeman, it'll be a big year for him in triple a another guy though, that I think could be a trade chip, especially if Andres Jimenez is performing next year. Yeah, he's solid. If, if Jimenez is performing and even Rosario's or one of the two are performing, I think we could see Freeman as a trade chip. Um, and, you know, again, they could go get some some nice pieces there uh, and make Cleveland uh, a wild card contender with a couple quick moves. Somebody that I think could help their rotation as soon as the middle of next season, I think, to give them a left-hander. They, they could use a left-hander in the rotation. Logan We're going to talk about Nolan Jones before we get to this guy. Nah, Nolan Jones is behind him now. Oh, what? You sent me the wrong list. No, Yeesh. I tweaked it. I tweaked it. There's the only yeah. thing I flip-flopped. Only thing I flip-flopped. Fair. Sorry. Fair. Sorry. Well, I did. Well, actually brings up a great point. Why did I put Logan Allen over Nolan Jones? It will be eight. Because Logan Allen's freaking good. Yeah. Logan Allen's freaking good. Um. So, yeah, sorry for the antiquated list that didn't uh, flip-flop seven back to eight. But it's okay. 21 years old. I just look devastated right now. Like I, yeah. Like I lied to you. I tried. I set you up for failure. That's what I did. You did. I did. did. I'll wear that one. I'm sorry. Uh, But I had a change of heart the more I looked at Logan Allen. And I mean, look, the guy is an athlete. He was a two-way player at FIU. Um, I had a chance to talk to Merville Melendez, his former coach, about him. And I got to see Logan in the Cape, too. Uh, But just said that the killer mentality on the mound. He attacks hitters. And you could see it. And it made sense when I was hearing Merville talk about that. Um, And there's nothing that jumps off the page other than the command with Logan Allen. But I mean, look at these numbers from high A and double A 111 innings pitched 2.26 ERA 0.93 whip 33% K rate 6% walk rate. Jack. I mean, this is a guy that pounds the zone 
has three pitches that are all viable. The fastball sits in the low 90s, but has some riding action to it, and he's deceptive, so it plays up to at least a slightly above average pitch. The changeup is plus, and he hides it really well with or masks it really well out of the hand like the fastball and locates it phenomenally. And the slider is above average. You got three pitches, you got great command, and you have a good athlete on the mound who has a little built-in deception. To me, this is a almost surefire left-handed number four pitcher for you that is going to just be a solid, solid back-of-the-rotation arm and good one for a long time. That's really what I see. Yeah, so this guy isn't even sniffing my top 30 prospects uh, personally because he's six foot and under 200 pounds. Um, I, think I was about to that, freak out on you. <laughs> no, we've learned that stature uh, means everything. So I'd rather have a guy that's 6'6", 230, and can't throw strikes. Correct. Uh, as opposed to uh, Logan Allen, who's six foot, like 190. So he's obviously set up for failure. Nobody under six foot or nobody under six, four has really ever performed at the MLB level. So I'm, I'm all the way out on Logan out all the way out. Um, um, no, I mean, listen, nine starts in high A to open the year as somebody that was in high A central, uh, which was the league that Logan Allen was in, you know, I watched he and Ethan Elliott duel each other for like the class of high A central and Elliott came out of nowhere. Allen, the much better prospect. Um, but I mean, a one five eight ERA in nine starts in high A. He came up. That was his first pro experience. And it was like, OK, you're already better than this level. And you're still, you know, under the league average age of, of a pitcher in high A. 67 punches in 51 and a third innings. Then he makes 10 starts in double A. Two eight five ERA. So, again, horrible. Right. Two eight five. God, you should quit. Uh, 60 innings, 76 strikeouts. Yeah. I mean, he's a good athlete um, and six foot 190. I don't care. Give me some stock in Logan Allen. Look, the new wave, I'm telling you, especially with guys that have riding fastballs, the wave is low vertical attack angle, right? And that's what Allen's able to do. It's, it's a high three quarters release with riding action. Fastball plays up. It really didn't get hit much, even though it was in the low 90s, even at the double A level. Change up makes the, the fastball play up and the slider is a good pitch to mix in. He's got his way to attack hitters from both sides of the plate. He repeats his mechanics well. He's a good athlete. You got everything you need from Logan Allen. You pair the, and, and again, he was a really good hitter too. So you see that athleticism on the mound, still young, already pretty solid success that we've seen. I'm expecting Allen to be up at some point next year. Um, and I think he can be a contributor for them. So now speaking of contributors for them next year, there's another guy that I think is anticipated to do something for them, but it's a bit unclear as to what his ability to contribute will look like Nolan Jones, which, you know, he finished really strong. It was a disastrous start to the season, finished strong in triple A Columbus as well. I just don't love Nolan Jones. Uh, I'll just be honest. I'm just not a huge fan of Nolan Jones. I think he's fine. Um, he has the raw power. He has the frame. You talk about your six, four guys. He's got the frame, but we haven't seen the power translate and into game power. Um, he has been atrocious against lefties historically made some strides there uh, last year, which was good. Um, has some swing and miss stretched a little thin at third base still seeing if he could play corner outfield. I just think there's a lot of questions here and, and there's not been enough production in the power department to overlook some of the other questions. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I think I'm kind of out on, on Nolan Jones because you've got this organizational philosophy where you want good bat to ball uh, and the power will come eventually. Um, 
you know, when he was drafted, he was the heir apparent to Jose Ramirez. And now I think you got to look elsewhere. Yep. Um, having said that, I think he can get you a solid big league piece in return because I guarantee you some organizations are still holding out hope in Nolan Jones and the power possibility. He's a 273 hitter across his entire minor league career, but he hit 240 this past year with 13 bombs in 99 games. He's a 240 hitter at the major league level. How many home runs has yet to be determined, but he's a 240 hitter. The good news is he walks though. Um, He's a, but again, another guy that's just almost too passive. Uh, We saw the walk rate pretty consistent at 14, 15% throughout his minor league career. That's what it was last year as well. Right. Right. A hair under 15%. I just, I don't see enough violence there. I don't see enough damage. I do think that you could get a nice platoon bat that could play third and corner outfield for you and, and crush righties. There is a scenario where you get a 20 to 25 home run guy that is giving you 450 plate appearances and splits time at third and corner outfield. Like this could be a good big league piece. And you know what? The guardians need power. So I'm okay with them roaming him out there. Like he could be the Josh Naylor type for them. Um, And yeah, but I just like Naylor more. (laughs) Yeah. But Naylor, remember like there was a point in time where he looked like he was maybe a, a prospect that was not going to pan out. Marlins traded him. He was a first round pick. He was struggling in the minor leagues. Power was never quite translating. And then he figured it out. Uh, We'll see if the Guardians want him to figure it out with them or figure it out elsewhere. He did make those improvements last year against lefties, which was really important. But I still see 20 to 25 home run guy at best that you're shielding from lefties. And that's just not with the defensive limitations. I'm just not that excited about that. Yeah. Next guy is someone I'm more excited about. The only reason that he's ranked behind him is we haven't seen enough. Uh, But Gavin Williams. Haven't seen anything. Haven't anything. seen anything in pro baseball. In pro. So I'm in college. He was freaking awesome at ECU. And dueled toe-to-toe with some of the best pitchers in the country. I think Ty Madden, he out-dueled at one point. There might yeah. have been Kumar Rocker as well. I, I, I don't even remember. It's all been such a blur. But he, he staked his claim as one of the best pitchers in college baseball. And when the second I saw the Guardians pick him, I was like, they're going to develop this guy into a, into yeah. a really good – number two, number three type. And yeah. Williams is a guy I'm expecting to have a lot of helium in this system. Yeah. hundred percent. One, eight, eight ERA and 81 and a third this past year with East Carolina, 130 punch outs, 21 walks in 81 and a third, 130 Ks in 81 innings of work. Um, and yeah, I mean, he shredded in the regional. He got, you know, big time pub during the NCAA tournament there as East Carolina continued to win on the back of Gavin Williams. So yeah, I, I think this guy is a good pitcher. He's a power pitcher, um, and he's on the bigger side. But, you know, he he can carve a little bit. I'm excited. What's funny is you say power pitcher, but he throws a lot of strikes, and that's what the Guardians, similar, we talked about the offensive approach, the more palpable approach that they have to pitching that has worked really well is guys that have command of three, maybe a fourth pitch, and developing that stuff up a tick. Yeah. They like the command over stuff guys because they trust their ability to develop the stuff. We see it with Logan Allen. Espino is a unique case because you're just drafting a freak in the first round. But yeah. you look at even Shane Bieber. You look at going out to go target Cal Quantrill. Uh, there's a lot of guys that they like that have the pitch ability that they develop uh, with the stuff. And I think Gavin Williams already has a little bit more stuff than you normally find. And it wasn't a surprise to me that they targeted him. For sure. Number 10, guy that you probably were not That's happy. Tough. We're not happy about where I put him. Jose Tana. And uh, I'm sure some Guardians fans might not be happy where I have Jose Tana too, but I have him in the top 10. That's the good news. Um, I have nothing against Jose Tana. 
Nothing against Jose Tana. I think he's fine. He's got some power. Uh, he can do a little bit of everything. Don't love, don't love the approach. Don't love some of the pre-swing movements. I think they're kind of difficult to duplicate. Uh, you obviously have heard a lot of good things about the way he approaches the game, a lot of good things about his just demeanor, which is also very important. Um, and is another reason why, of course, I'm I'm always keeping an eye on him and I'm very willing to boost him up a little bit. Yeah. I just haven't quite seen enough to see what some others that are very bullish on him are, are so excited about. Um, it's, it's an aggressive approach. It's, there's not a lot of walks. There's some swing and miss. I don't know if I totally, totally see what everybody else sees. Yeah. So makeup passes with flying colors. That's my understanding from people within the guardians organization is that guy comes ready to work. Um, he is a respectful teammate and he's great a grinder. So he's going to great to hear. the weight room. It's great to hear. Uh, he turns 21 at the end of this, at the uh, end of March. Um, so like Tana, I, here's the thing. I think he can tick up to being a really good shortstop. I think he has staying power at short. A lefty hitting shortstop that hit 281 with 16 bombs this year in 107 games in high A. That was 20 years old. I sign up for that 10 days at a 10. Yeah, solid. Very solid. I like Simple it. Simple as that. It, it's, not, it's not wow factor of Rokio. It's not wow factor of hitting 300. Um, but I sign up for, for the idea that that bat could be uh, a little bit of both, you know, 60 hit, 60 power. Um, I don't know if he would be 60 power. Like he would be, you know, 50 to 55 probably. Um, and he might be 55 hit right now. But like you see you think 60, he can trend to 60, 60. You see a 60 hit in a guy that struck out 26% of the time in high A? No, so right now I think it's 50, right? Where do you have it? Right now we have – I have him at about 45 with a 55 future. 45 with a 55 future. Okay, so I guess I'm a little bit more bullish. I think that it could be 60 future, um, but we're not far off there, 55 to 60. Where do you have the future power? That I actually I, – I see I see some pop here. I see some pop yeah. here. I, I, I see 55. Okay. Let's call him 55, 55 with good defense at short. That would be great if that works out that way. I'm, I'm cool with that for sure. I just, my, here's my issue. I don't know how much confidence I have in the hit tool getting to 55. Fair. 40% chase rate. Um, a little bit high. The power is very pull side dominant. We haven't really seen him hit the ball out anywhere other than his pull side. Um, it's a little bit of a yank heavy approach. He did I hit really saw well. Him hit some tanks to the pull side though. Oh no, he's got he hits monster nukes to the to the pull side. There's there's power there for sure. Yeah, I, I just I don't know. I like him. I like him. Don't get me wrong. I just maybe I'm too low, but I like where where should he be? Should he be ahead? Of, maybe he's ahead of Nolan Jones. Right? No, like, you're in the right spot with him. Really. Yeah, I think 10's the right spot here. I know a lot of people think higher, um, but I think this guy more so than anybody else in this organization, and I think more than most in minor league baseball, 2022 is going to tell us so much about Jose Tana. I agree. Like this year is massive for him. He makes his first appearance in double-A this year. How does he fare against double-A pitching? If the K-rate jumps to north of 30%, it's like, okay, boom, time to time to slam on the brakes right yeah, now. Yeah, let's slow this down. But if he improves, if he improves like Rokio, then, you know, he's got helium. 
Yeah. Yeah. And just like a few of the metrics. Um, and again, the, you talk about the, the reason, so I'm not as concerned about Tina. Um, it, honestly, I'll be honest. A lot of the metrics that he posts in terms of his chase rates, in terms of his swing and miss at times, I would be way more nervous if, you know, I didn't have the background of his makeup. And um, he also was, was very good in the Arizona fall league. Uh, but I mean, the guy, the guy swings at a lot and he swung it almost like every change up thrown his way. <laughs> um, that's something that in double a, they're going to start to to identify a bit more. So yeah, I'll, I'll wrap it up with exactly what you said. I am so open to the idea of shooting Tana up so quick. If he swings it well in double a right now, I'm keeping him at 10 because of the fact that I have quite a bit of concern that he will struggle in double a it's okay. If he struggles in double a, like you said, he's not even 21 yet. He can use a, a double, a, a two year stint in double a worst case scenario. But I just, I just have too much concern there to, to not, to, to put him ahead of some of these other guys. Yeah. We got to see a lot there. Um, I want to do a role reversal here. I want to walk you through all the guys that are just on the outside of this, because there are so many that I freaking love. Cool. Let's do it. Let's do it. Um, and we'll go relatively rapid fire. Some guys we're going to, we're going to slow up a little bit. This first guy, we're going to slow up a little bit because I'm going to talk about John Kenzie Noel first. You love him. This MF had a 11, 19 OPS in 38 games in a ball. I mean, the, Came out like gangbusters. John Kenzie Noel, what do you think? This guy is so freaking good, man. He's so, so, so good. I, and it's funny because I know it's turned into a thing where I'm just like, it's almost a Ty France type thing where I was just hyping up Ty France so ridiculously that it just kind of became a joke to a degree, even though he ended up being really good. Noel is, is I think, fan favorite type. Uh, you, you saw what your mean Mercedes kind of did but way more explosive. And I think just a better all around player. He, he hit back to back home runs last year, consecutive at bats, 112, 113 miles an hour. Wow. 19 years old. He he's a big dude, burly as hell and got the chains, got the swagger, walks out to 50 cent does not just has this attitude to him. I love it. He's scary up there. I've talked to pitchers that face him like that's an intimidating ass dude. And I mean, you talked about the numbers in low A. It was a joke for him. Got up to high A, a little bit more challenging, but it's some of the easiest power I've seen. What what 50 cents on? Many men? Oh, if it's many men, that's he's top 100, I, could see, I think. Yeah, I could see him walking up to many men for sure. Oh, if I can't. Another one that would be good. Yeah, that's another one. Oh. That would be good. Yeah. So the power's insane. I think yeah. we had, I think it was 10 home runs or eight to 10 home runs that were over 108 miles an hour. That's ridiculous. And he's only going to get more of that man strength. He still looks yeah. young. Like he looks like a one of those kids that is just way overgrown. Um, yeah. and he's still kind of getting into his body. I don't know what he's going to do defensively. I don't really think he's going to play third. He's probably a first baseman, which limits his prospect value, but Holy crap. The guy, the guy just rakes. He could be like the for animal. Really? He could be a lot like the for animal for them and a better field to hit than people expect. And I love Fran Reyes as a piece for them. Love, love, love. Uh, Joey Cantillo, next guy I want to talk about. Hawaiian kid missed a lot of time with an abdominal injury, but had a one nine three ERA in 19 starts in low A in 2019 before the trade in the Clevenger deal brought him over. What do you think? 
he I'm interested, right? Like he's a guy I'm following, but there's probably 10 to 12 dudes. I, I put ahead of him, yeah, uh, yeah. but I, I see bullpen really. I, I think he's got the built-in deception. He's, he's, he's got, there's something about him that you just, you just see, you can see a big league arm there, but you know, with the injury, some command questions in the past, it's more I want to see. Uh, but I mean, he's a guy worth watching for sure. There's definitely some, some, some arms. I like a lot more. I can see reliever with spot starts at the big yes. level. Yeah. You could stretch him out for sure. Uh, Bo Naylor, really bad batting average. He can still be okay as a catching option. He's young. Yeah. The thing with Naylor is, is he was really focused on the defensive side of things, made a lot of improvements there. Um, and you know how it works. Sometimes you're focusing on the defensive side of things. He missed a big year of development as a catcher and it seemed like the bat suffered a little bit. There's reason to believe that the bat can come around and, uh, I, I'm not saying Naylor is done by any means, but he's going to definitely need to work out some things. It was a rough year last year overall. Yeah. I don't know if it's Angel Martinez or Angel Martinez. We should go with Angel Martinez. Just, you know, I, I think that's probably what it is. Hit 241 in low A this year. He's a switch hitting shortstop that was born in 2002. He's super young. What do you think of him? He gave us a flash of a little bit of everything. Um, and and it, to me, it was more than enough to say this kid has – Really good upside. He's a guy that's right on the outside looking into this top 10 as well. Again, I feel like I'm, I'm a broken record, but it's tough for a guy like Angel Martinez, who really should have got his feet wet last year, has a bit of an aggressive jump. And uh, look, he did, he did a little bit of everything and enough to show us that he's got some ability, hit seven home runs, showed a little yeah. bit of speed, showed the ability to pick it a little bit. Switch hitter, it's it's a guy worth following, no doubt. Just probably one of the biggest candidates of who suffered from a lack of 2020. Yeah, yeah. Next guy I'm high on, Tanner Burns. 301 ERA as a freshman while sharing a weekend rotation with Casey Mize at Auburn. Lowered that to 282, lowered that to 242 across four starts before the canceled season in 2020. Uh, I saw Burns throw with high A this year. He looks ready. He's six foot 180, by the way, though. Yeah. Oh, canceled. Yep. Done. No, I, I like him. He's he's going to climb quick. He's never going to be a frontline guy, obviously. But I think you got a solid back end of the rotation arm here that you kind of know what you're getting every fifth day. And there's you can't have enough of those guys. And clearly the Guardians prove you can't have enough of those guys. Brian Lavastida, cup of coffee in AAA, hit 289 with a 380 OBP across three levels last year. Man, pop, good glove. Guy can hit absolutely hit um the power we'll have to see the glove has made major improvements i mean this was somebody that was selected out of a community college that wasn't really catching much um and has made major major improvements there was great throwing out runners uh, has continued to get better and better and better behind the dish assuming that the defense continues to improve because the glove has looked good uh, but when you get to the blocking receiving all of those little things I think this guy could be a legit catcher for you because the bat to ball skills are there and he's got the athleticism. He's a, he's a converted catcher. These are converted to catcher. So I think he could progress nicely back there and he shows that he can hit. I mean, the guy can freaking swing it. Yeah. Uh, Carson Tucker, his brother is dating Vanessa Hudgens. Uh, Carson Tucker is so far away. Could be fun to monitor. Yeah. I, I, I can't even pretend I know that much really. I mean, he's so far away. They're taking their time with him. First round pick in 2020. So his debut was delayed. At a high school. Yep. He 
fits that mold of a lot of their a lot of their middle infield types. I think the bat the ball skills are going to start to translate. I think he's going to be a, a hit first guy, but he comes yeah. with a little bit more athleticism than a lot of the other like the, some of the other middle infielders in the system, and could leapfrog the guys once he gets a little bit more run. Yep. Peyton Battenfield, a deadline deal this past year, brought him from Tampa Bay to Cleveland in exchange for Jordan Luplo from one pitcher whisper in Tampa Bay to another in Cleveland. I think, you know, it's funny. Everyone says don't trade with the Rays. The Rays lost this one. They lost this one, not just because Jordan Luplo can't play. I understand it was a, there's a 40 man crunch for, for the Rays. And that's why they traded a lot of these upper level prospects. Uh, they did the same thing with Tobias Myers. They did the same thing in the Nelson Cruz deal. They traded Joe Ryan, who I know they did would have preferred not to trade, but they had to either give up Joe Ryan or a lower level prospect and then figure out the 40 man crunch. And they preferred to do that. Um, yeah. Battenfield, I think is a, is a big leaguer. No doubt about it. The fastball is unique, has a tough profile to hit and pick up. He was really good in double a last year. The guy throws a ton of strikes. He mixes it up with the fastball playing up the way it does and a mixture of a curveball, a changeup, and a cutter that he he's even able to mix in there. To me, he's almost surely a back end of the rotation guy, and I think he could help them as soon as next year. Doug Nikhazy, twelve and two with a two four five ERA this past year at Ole Miss, one hundred and forty two punchouts, thirty one walks in ninety two innings. Another college arm that Cleveland took. You're stretching me thin there, honestly. That's fair. <laughs> lefty, he's he's pretty solid. SEC lefty. If, if anyone's another college guy, I don't know. That's, that's, you tell me. That's a guy not even on my radar. He's fine. Uh, again, high K rate, 142 strikeouts and 92 innings in the SEC, 245 ERA. is pretty good. Uh, you watch any of Tommy Mace at Florida? Yes. yes. I, I okay. like my Florida arms. I really do. Yeah. Tommy Mace, 6'6, 230, big guy, unique arm slot, unique delivery. Looked like he could be the guy after Singer, Coar, and all those guys. And then he fell off a little bit. Didn't quite take that step. But when the Guardians see somebody like that and they feel like they can unlock him, you know, I, I think that that's something that's worth watching, right? And I mean, he was still a competitive balance B pick. He still has that projectability at 6'6, 230, big body. I think we can, we're going to see the stuff tick up with him when he gets under the right program, gets under the right situation. It seems like so many times with these Ford arms, I love a lot of the Ford arms, but we're expecting them to take this leap in their draft year. And then they don't. And it's yeah. weird. I mean, Brady Singer did the same thing. Coar didn't quite take that leap. Uh, I mean, Singer was being talked about as a one, one guy and it just didn't yeah. happen because he took a step back. I'm interested to see how, how a good organization taking one of these Florida arms that didn't quite make that step. I mean, we know the Royals don't develop arms, so that sucks for yeah. Coar and Singer. Yeah, Maybe Mace can be the guy that gets unlocked a little bit more, though I do love Singer still. Two phenomenal Gator arms right now, though. Hunter Barco, one of the best pitchers oh. in America, and then Pierce Coppola, skinny as oh. shit freshman. Both of them look great. Barco, I know, like I've, I've seen more of, but oh my gosh, Barco is going to be freaking good. He's going to be a, a high pick. Yeah, 100%. Uh, Ethan Hankins is coming off Tommy John surgery, but he was a first-round pick in 2018 out of high school. I mean, he's got a big arm. Fastball that legit plays, and I love a power fastball that's complemented by a good changeup. His best secondary pitch is a changeup. Figure the rest out. Like, I'm, I'm here for that, for that type of profile. He's still only 21, another 6'6 guy. Uh, so big, big profile. Worst case, he could fall back in reliever, but I, I believe this guy can, can make it happen as a starter. 
we both love Xavion Curry, 25 innings in low A, 38 punch outs, four walks, three earned runs, went up to high A, a 2.66 ERA. He had one quick start in double A to end the year. Curry, again, a small guy, so canceled, but uh, he's got a great fastball and a great curveball. His curveball defies physics. It's great. It looks like it looks like it was slow bowed, like it's just almost stops in the air. Nasty curveball. Fastball plays up a little bit because of the high spin rates and, and athleticism and arm speed. Curry is a guy that's just on the outside of the top 10. I really like him. And uh, I, I love the athleticism on the mound. He was a guy that was initially recruited as a two-way player at Georgia Tech. Curry is somebody I'm, I'm, I'm excited about. Another arm that I think has number three upside, but probably more likely to be a really good number four. Yeah. Uh, last guy for me, because if he makes it to the bigs, I think I'm going to cry tears of joy. Joe Naranjo uh, was a pick out of high school, a 5'8", 200-pound lefty hitting first baseman uh, that doesn't turn 21 until late May. This guy sprays it around. I kind of loved the approach. He's just a pure hitter. He's 5'8", and he plays first base right now, so the odds are forever stacked against him, but I dig it. Can he play second? Uh, no, he, he's left-handed. Oh, he's a left-handed thrower. Oh, geez. Yeah. Can you play corner outfield? Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, God. All right, we're rooting for you. Uh, one, one more for, for <laughs> one more for me. Uh, Tobias Myers, uh, another guy that, that came over from from the Rays. Uh, Tobias Myers was like a one for one swap. It was the only reason was the Rays. It really, I think teams were lining up to the Rays when the Rays had to do the the garage sale uh, to try to clear clear room for their forty man roster. Teams are like, oh, we'll give you this prospect. We'll give you this prospect for your more advanced 40-man eligible guy. Exactly what happened with Tobias Myers was swapped for a pretty decent prospect. Uh, Myers, to me, will be big league ready this, this coming season. Really good fastball that is tough to pick up out of his hand, the classic raised mold. Good curveball. I think Myers is going to be a pleasant surprise and be a solid you know, low four ZRA guy that should eat some innings for Cleveland this coming season. Really good success in double A was solid in AAA. Look out for Tobias Myers, big time, another name to watch in this system. But, I mean, we went through as many names as we ever have. Um, yeah. And, I mean, this is a very, very exciting system, top to bottom. Any final thoughts, Jack? Um, I love this system. I, I freaking love it. it. Like, if I were to, you know, put stock in a single system right now, uh, a lot of people don't have this as a top five system in baseball. I think we clearly have it as top five, oh. and I, I'm ready to put it at number two. Yeah, I'd say top three. I'd have to go almost just player for player with the Rays and see how it all shakes out. But yeah, they're clearly top five, no doubt about it. And uh, look, it's always fun going through systems like this one because eventually you and I are going to have to get to the White Sox, and that's going to suck. Um, yeah. I got to go talk about Derek Jeter stepping down. Um, yeah, you do. So I'm going to go do that. Holy crap. Um, but this was a great episode, as always, Jack. We're going to have a player interview finally again on Wednesday. Uh, really excited uh, for you guys to get that one. And what system should we do next? We'll see. Uh, stay tuned. But the write-ups, a little bit delayed. I'm sorry. It was a crazy weekend at, uh, in Atlanta. I was at Collector's Collision. I believe that's what it's called. I don't even remember. It was, I was with our folks at eBay. It was a blast. Uh, and I will be finishing up this write-up. It'll be out Tuesday, uh, which would be March 1st. So look out for that. Thank you for listening as always, and we'll talk to you on Wednesday.
At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.